This week's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Inventables, the hardware store for designers. Learn more about Carvey, their new 3D carving machine, at inventables.com. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, Maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. I'm Eric Garneau, and this is part one of a special three-part Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast episode featuring the theme Across America. Uh, so if you've listened to this show at all in the past five years, you've no doubt heard the voice of Claire Friedman, who's been a part of the music here for over three years and a frequent storyteller since the very beginning, like literally the first episode. Well, Claire's moving to New York City at the end of the month, and she put together a really special final Your Story show to send her off. So this week, you'll hear from Chris Geiger, Mike Gifford, Eric Lewis Baker and Ariel Atkins, all handpicked by Claire. You'll also get music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and of course, Claire Friedman. Uh, I'll keep the plugs light in this episode, but I do want to mention that today is the last day to submit your final favorites from the past year podcast to us. Uh, that helps us make our year-end podcast episode, and it also helps us book our five-year anniversary show at The Hideout in December. Uh, that's going to be a real party, and we hope to see a bunch of you there. I'll post the link to the submission form both on Facebook and on the website posting on this episode. So if you have time today, fill that out. Tell us your favorites from the last year. That would be really cool. It's also like a nice celebration of the work people put into their stories, so um, they really appreciate it. So... Um, before we get to the show, thanks, of course, to our sponsors for this week's episode, Inventables, and thank you to the Chicago Podcast Co-op, which truly exists because of Claire's hard work for all the support and sponsorship that it's given us over the years. Uh, with all that said, take it away, Claire. Hello, everybody, and welcome! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Geiger! Hey, everybody! I don't even care. I think it has a general context. Uh, hi, everybody, and welcome to your stories. It's my last one. Ah, ah, ah. I've been doing this show for so very long. Um, and uh, it means so much to me that uh, all, so many people have come out, and uh, the people who are sharing tonight and the people who are who are here, I, I love you all so much, and I'm so happy to see everyone. Um, uh, we are moving to, to New York, that place, 
Um, and... The Windy City. Yes. The Windy City. Uh... City of Angels, New York City. Um, that is an old Chris Geiger joke. Just going to talk about Geiger at the top of the show. Um, uh, but but yeah, we're kicking out, and so that's why I'm hosting instead of Eric, because Eric was like, do you want to host? And I was like, I guess I should, I guess. Um, so, But yeah, just thank everyone for coming so much. Uh, Your Stories was the first uh, like non-improv, non-class show that I did, and... Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of just want to get right into it. Uh, are there other things I'm supposed to say at the top? No. We're a podcast. Your, your Go listen. Nice. I'll okay. it all in post. Nice. Great. <laughs> I think you should. This is a little rambling. Um, if I do say so myself, she can wrap it up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so the, the first uh, speaker is not coming up yet because we do music at the top of the show. <laughs> For five years? No, no, I've never done the show before, and this is not the only part that I'm usually in. Um, Okay, so uh, uh, to start the show off, I'm going to bring up the two uh, hosts of the show that usually do this part, uh, who are a little more uh, together on this than I am. My very good friends, Eric Arnold and Dwight Hassler! Claire, guys, give it up for Claire Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. Best I'm going to intro ever. I'm going to challenge myself to not say anything tonight and just let Claire be and see what comes of it. This is another song about keep it, keep it going, man. Even when the world is just all over the place, keeping, 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 keeping it. Let's do it. everybody for coming out tonight. Everybody for coming out to your stories. Love this show for a long time. Up here with Mr. Dwight Hansel. Mr. Eric Garneau. Just like we are every, every month. And let me tell you, we couldn't do this show without all you wonderful good people. Big wheels keep on An intro that goes over the thing. And then eventually we'll all begin to sing together. Left on the job in the city. This is the sink part. Working for the man every night and day. But I never lost a minute of sleep. Worrying about the
the whole song. Okay, now we're going to have speakers come up to tell stories um, for about five minutes each. Um, you can sit or you can stand. Uh, this microphone does not amplify, but it records for our podcast that is released every Monday. Go download it. It's called Your Stories, just like the show. <laughs> the first speaker tonight um, is uh, the, the very first Your Stories I went to. It was the summer of t- 2011. I had just graduated from college. Um, I went to an other other guy's midnight show, which they at the time had at IO, and there was this guy subbing in, who I'm whom I had never met, who was wearing a very uh, very short gold miniskirt, and was was talking to him after the show, and I was like, oh man, you're in the Nerdologs. I saw that thing, your stories, and I was thinking about going, but I'm like really nervous about it. And he told me at like 1:30 in the morning, he was like, go, come on, like I want to see you there, like please go. We really really love it when people come, and so I did, and I told my first story, and I've been here ever since. And that person is Mr. Chris Geiger. I promise there's a story behind that gold miniskirt, but whatever. <laughs> Not no context needed. Everyone's got their thing. So just recently, something historic, incredible happened. I'm going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. You know, we have a theme across America, so of course, we have to talk about it. The Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> now, the elation I felt in that moment is going to be forever conflated with the near bottomless panic that I felt less than a week later by the 9-11 we did to ourselves. <laughs> but I will no less forget it, and I will not let it be taken from me. It really, really happened. For the first time in 108 years, the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> And yes, it is true that in one week I went from taking the streets in limitless uh, elation that was only curtailed by the fact that my hands were rubbed raw from the high fives and my brain was mushed from lack of sleep and crying to taking the streets yet again, but this time with fear, anxiety, and worry gripping my heart and making my steps heavy, but it still happened. The Cubs (laughs) won the World Series. (laughs) Now, for most of my life, I've been an optimist. There are times where doubt gripped me in such a way as to worry about my path in life. But for the most part, I've seen the good in people, in all people. And I believe that we're all trying our best, honestly. I I really do. I, I believe that. And I've honestly held hope even when you shouldn't. And there was no team more hopeful than the Chicago Cubs in 1908. They had just won their second consecutive World Series and appeared in the World Series three times in a row. Their core of Frank Chance, Joe Tinker, Johnny Evers would remain with legendary pitcher Mordecai Three Finger Brown leading the way. He was called Three Finger because he had his hand mangled in a farm accident that left this finger and this finger uh, ruined, but also meant that he could have a devastating curveball. <laughs> now, the, du- the double play potential, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's 1908. Now, the double play potential of their infield was immortalized in a poem, which said the saddest words you could ever hear if you were a fan of a team playing the Cubs at the time were Tinker to Evers to Chance. But yet, they wouldn't win it for 108 years. 
They had all the right pieces for a continued dynasty and couldn't put it together. The weight of that is crushing. Players came and went through the Cubs organization who would become Hall of Famers, uh, such as Ernie Banks, Ron Santo, or Billy Williams, who would never play in a World Series game, much less win one. You know, Ernie Banks, uh, Mr. Cub himself, who was immortalized uh, in, that world, or in the statue of bronze in front of Wrigley Field, uh, he said to his friend Ron Rappaport, uh, sometimes I'm at a Hall of Fame reunion and I'll look around and see I'm the only one in the room who has never played in a World Series. I've had nightmares about it. Once, I even talked to a psychiatrist. There wasn't much he could say, just that I'd done my best, and it wasn't meant to be. Now, uh, Ernie passed away last year. One year before we won the World Series. One year before he could see his team win it all. And he died thinking that he was one of the best chances the Cubs ever had at winning it, and that they didn't win it because of him. But they did win. The Cubs won the World Series. It did happen. It really happened. It took young players with no connection to the history uh, that came before them to shed the weight of it and move forward. It took one of the longest and most traumatic Game 7s in World Series history to break the curse. And everyone in the United States and a lot of people around the world were watching. The game got more viewers than the Super Bowl. So shrugging off 108 years of Trauma and history is no easy task. So when we look to our country to do the same, the fact we fall behind is tragic, but the goal is yet still attainable. A generous world of helpful people who care for one another and want to build each other up. We are still on the right path. We just need to tank for draft picks for a little bit to build up a lineup that's really sustainable. And even after that, we are probably still going to lose a few, or maybe a lot. But the goal is still in front of us. The goal is still in reach. So don't lose courage or hope because the Cardinals win a lot. We still have superiority over them because, hey, they're a bunch of racists. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I realize I'm sideways comparing politics to sports teams, which I have complained publicly about, about people treating politics as sports. But I need to vent a little, so I hope you'll uh, give me a pass there. So the day after we won the World Series, I took my bike to Wrigley just to soak it in. And when I got there, I was expecting it to be jubilant, and instead it was somber. At Wrigley, people were writing in chalk on the walls outside, nice words, slogans, names of people who were lost along the way. It was a memorial to the fans as much as it was a gesture to the Cubs. People were quiet as they approached the wall, some were even crying. There were others there with ladders to help people get up to the highest bricks. So I wrote a few names down on the wall for friends who weren't able to make it and took some photos. And the people were generous, helpful, wanted to build each other up. The spirit is in all of us. We just have to keep leading people to believe in it and support each other along the way. My only hope is that I see it in my lifetime. And if not then at least people remember me as some sort of Mr. Sunshine like they look back on Ernie. And even if I die before I see it, I will die knowing that no matter what, we'll turn the page and win the whole damn thing. The Cubs won the World Series. Anything can happen. Thank you. If I can have...
the stage for just one more minute. Uh, I do want to take a second to say some words about Claire, and they just don't have to go on the podcast, but just for you guys. Uh, Claire, I've known you for too freaking long to imagine that this is our final goodbye. But I do want to send you off with some good words to kind of bolster your spirit as you tackle the great new unknown. And I know that you embarrass easily, surprisingly. So uh, my last gesture is to say these words in front of all these people uh, as a joke on you one last time. (laughs) Uh, You are, uh, without question, one of the best people I have ever had the chance to meet. Uh, From the very first moment I met you that night when I was wearing that gold miniskirt, I knew you were a person I wanted to be around in my life. And I'm fortunate to not only have gotten a chance to perform with you for so long, but to call you my friend, family, and to have so many wonderful journeys with you. Uh, You are one of the most generous giving people I've ever met, and the depths of your heart have no limit. So don't let the mean streets of New York constrain you, and never forget that in your panic to do everything right, you'll still work some gum into the seat of your dad's new Dodge Dart. (laughs) Anyway. So enjoy your move. Be happy. Stay in touch. I love you and I'm proud of you. Good luck. Car was spotless all the way to Denver and back. He froze it off with liquid nitrogen. No worries. Okay. Um, uh, that was so sweet. I'm dying. Uh, the next person, um, the next person uh, coming up is someone who I first saw at uh, uh, one of my very favorite shows in the city, Shithole, and who who runs his own shows uh, at at Flatiron and I think a couple of other fun things that he does around the city. Um, just one of my faves. One of my faves, guys. Uh, coming up next is Mike Gepper. Yeah! Thank you. Uh, I'll say the things about you first, because uh, I hate sentiment, and I try to put it out of my head. Uh, odds are you will be depressed and fail in New York. <laughs> It's very expensive, and you'll find there with so many people, you are definitely not special if you didn't know before. Okay. So, uh, good luck. So, uh, that, that part out of the way. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I recently moved to Andersonville. I live in between a legendary gay sex club called Man's Country and a cemetery, so I have found the place I'm going to die. (laughs) So, um... So, so, uh, 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 Donald Trump, uh, is the president of the United States now. Uh, there we are. I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, scared of it. Uh, 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 it's just something different and it's annoying. It's like, it's like as I've gotten older, I've started to get more zits on my back and bottom. 
Uh, it's not something that I'm proud of, just like I'm not proud that Donald Trump is our president. It's just something I've had to get used to when I poop, because I never thought that I'd pop from two places when taking a crap. <laughs> But I, I, I didn't think it could get any, any worse with Donald Trump. But then, but then I found out that, that my, my retirement destination in Andersonville had screeched to a halt because man's country, the bathhouse that I live next to after 44 years is, is shutting down. It's close. What? It's closing. That is terrible. And so, and I'm, and I, and I'm a prudish guy. I don't, I don't fool around much. I don't, if you can't tell. And, uh, uh, from the Argyle shirt, I'm not trying very hard. But, <laughs> but, um, but I, but I thought, well, you, new things are happening that I gotta get used to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the, the bathhouse. I'm going to join and I'm gonna sign up and be a member, but I'm nervous to go by myself. So I asked my friend and he says he'll, he'll come with me. So, uh, we go to have uh, coffee one afternoon and then uh, uh, on Monday at 1.30, I, I went and I joined the sex club. So I, I, so I walk in and I pay the $10 lifetime fee. <laughs> And then, and they got options there of things that you can do. And I said, so I was curious. And so I said, well, tell me all about it. And, uh, and they, well, they have, they have, a, a, like sex and kink rooms with, with swings in them. But I'm not that daring and I'm not flexible. I don't do that sort of thing. I'm too old. And so I can barely tie my fucking shoes. And then, um, <laughs> then, uh, uh, they got video rooms. I thought, okay, well, I could do one of those, but they're cleaning them right now. Uh, how annoying. But it's a Monday at 1.30, so I guess that's what they do. So, but they had the regular rooms, and it's, and it was $15 for eight hours. Now, I'm gonna tell you what, with property taxes like we have in Chicago, that's a fucking deal. So, so I got it, so I got a room. And, uh, and I, you know, and I said, my friend, well, we can do that. And so, cause we're just touring around. I don't want to go have sex. It's weird. It's the sort of place, uh, uh, another friend of mine told me before I went to prepare me that it's so disgusting. It's where AIDS was invented. And as I went to my room, I found out he was right. And so, so I went into my room and I opened this, this door. He gave me, uh, the guy at the reception, he gave me a towel, a condom and my key. And so I made my way through and I got, I walked through a big, uh, there's a big wooden elephant with like Greek pillars all around it. I don't know. And so anyway, so then I, then I walked through there and down a dark hallway. It's very dark and it's carpeted. Sex club carpeted? Really? Anyway, so seems like a problem. So I get into the locker room and it looks like something from the Wonder Years. So it already feels wholesome, you know, with like the old style lockers. And then I walk up the stairway into where my, the, the hallway where, where my room is. And I open the door and it's very dark. It's very dark and I feel on the wall for the light switch, but there's no, there's no light switch. There's just a metal spike sticking out of the wall, just a spike. And I feel it, and it's, oh, it used to be, it was a dimmer switch. Oh, how sexy, it's romantic, but it's not there anymore, it's just a metal spike. So I go to twist it to turn it on, and you know how your grandma, around the holidays, she puts out candles in her window to be festive. 
Well, there's one of those hanging from the wall by two loose wires. That's the light. Very sensual. So when I do that, I see that there's a, a, a plywood box attached to the wall. That's the bed. And then there's a very thin mattress uh, on there uh, uh, made of foam. I could see it was made of foam because it had ripped through. And then there was a sheet thrown on top of it. And then I noticed that there was what looked like splatter right above where, like, the headboard thing would be. And I went up, and, I, you know, I'm there, and it's my room, so I touch it. And I find <laughs> it's not splatter. It's from 44 years of heads getting bashed against the wall from getting fucked. So that was a photo opportunity. I took a picture. So... <laughs> So then I go down and I go into the ballroom with my friend and, and it's sad because this was a place that was like the spot for gay people in the Midwest in the, in the, uh, the late 1970s and early 80s. Bette Midler had performed there. The village people had performed there. Divine from John Waters movies did her very last live show there before dropping dead. And now it just looked like a tomb. And so it's very dark and there's a, there's a cage in there, uh, in the, in the big ballroom and there's a lot of police tape so that you don't fall through the floor. And so, uh, so I went in cause I gotta go in the cage. And so I opened the door of the cage and I crawl in, but I'm not very good at being gay. It's, and I couldn't cinch my towel very well. So I kept slipping and I was crawling in and I'm embarrassed cause I'm with my friend Alex and how weird is that? And so I get in the cage and I shut the door and, and I thought this is kind of funny. You know, here I am monkeying around the cage and, uh, but I got stuck. I got stuck in the cage. The cage door would not open. And all I could think to myself is earlier in the day, I went to the bagel and I had my, my potato soup and I asked for my pastrami sandwich and I wanted challah bread, but they gave me rye bread. And I thought, here I am. And I got the wrong order and I'm going to get stuck in a fucking bathhouse in a sex cage in a ballroom where the floor is caving in and I'm trapped and I got the wrong order. And this is the fucking worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> But my friend Jimmy, the door opened, I got out, and so then I'm like, okay, and so we got to go down to the pit, because that's the place you're supposed to go, it's in the basement, and what the pit was, was the grotto area, which is very sensual, and they had like the pools, things, and, and they, in, in the sauna, but there's no pool things anymore, there's just big lead pipes all around the floor, and wires hanging from the ceiling and black mold covering everything. And it's just damp, you know, like damp. Like whenever you shake your great aunt's hand, you know, it feels like walking on that. So, you know, it's like Thanksgiving. So anyway, so, uh, so you, so I go in, it's gross and I see the sauna and I go to, and I go to open the door to the sauna because I got to check that out. I paid my $10. And so I open the door and Bam, I almost vomited. I almost threw up, and my friend had to catch me so I didn't collapse. And it was awful. It was like getting punched in the face with menthol. I'd never seen anything like it. It was staggering. But then I'm like, okay, I, I pumped myself up, much like the Cubs did between the ninth and the tenth inning. And then and I, and I manned up as much as I can in my state. And I opened the door, 
and my nose is burning and my eyes start to burn and I and I stick my foot in and it's a pothole of wet squish. Just squish. I'm like, oh, it's gross. And I freaked out. And I thought, ah, this is awful. My cinchon did. My tail fell down. It was embarrassing. I put it back up. So then I'm like, no, no, no. What? Third time's the charm. I opened the door to the sauna and I just ran in. And it's like walking in in the moon. It was squishy. And it was like swimming in your grandfather's neck. It was... It, it, it was like an area that was like warm Vicks Vapo rub completely surrounding your entire body. It was the absolute most disgusting place I had ever been in my entire life. So I opened the door and I looked like an old dish sponge. And I told my friend, I said, it's time you got to come in too. He said, I know. So he came in too. And it was embarrassing and gross. And we did it. And then we left. But... There's one last stop you got to make when you're at man's country, and that is the masturbation station, all right? Now, what the masturbation station is, is there's not flat screens. It's very retro, and there's just a, a big screen TV that's just stuck in a hole in the wall, all right? And playing on it is old, vintage, homemade porn. And I always find that vintage, homemade porn is interesting because despite the fact if the cocks are circumcised or not, there's always way more skin than there ought to be. So much skin. It's so strange. It looks like whenever you're deflating a Macy's Day balloon. It's like this just... Things are hanging and it's weird. Nobody's having a good time. So it's on a, a split level. And my friend, he's much taller than me and he didn't want to go in. So he was like leaning on the railing because it's carpeted, right? Like I'm saying, it's most of this place is carpeted. And we had been discussing earlier, I wonder if people are polite. And whenever they jerk off around the place, if they catch it with their towel. Right? Who knows? So I walk up, and there's just a mat thrown on the floor in the middle of it, and a wooden pew that's sort of wrapped around, like like Episcopalian style, you know, like it's rounded, you know? And so anyway, uh, but I, and I, as I walked up, there was like some of the only light in the place coming from the TV onto the pew, and it, it looked to me like the pew was crying. So I... I'm curious. I'm an inquisitive guy. And so I walk up and I touch the, I touch it. And it was, it was like the amber from Jurassic Park. This, this, there was so much layered cum on this pew. I could see cum that was there before AIDS. It was history, and then, but, 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 but then after that, I looked down and I see the the carpeting, and I it was like the whole place. It was like walking on potato chips, and then I realized, oh, the carpeting is completely covered in glistening cum, and then my eye travels up the wall, and it's completely covered like a fresca with a very thin patina of. Come, covering all like it's hot. It's amazing. I even when I was young, I couldn't shoot that high. 
And I turn to my friend and I'm like, Alex, everything is covered in cum. And he says, thank God I didn't walk up there. And, I'm, and then I see the railing and I'm like, oh no. And he moves his hands and it's Spider-Man. So uh, I got to smoke a cigarette now, but uh, <laughs> but I want to leave you with 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 a poem by the a uh, hundred years ago by a, a woman by the name of Edna Saint Vincent Millay. She said, "My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night, but all my foes." And oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. And then you see everything around you is covered in fucking cum. <laughs> Thank you. And declare. Yeah. I think I can speak for everyone here when I say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was... Uh, uh, we did a show um, for Chicago Podcast Festival a couple days ago, and Gifford told the story there as well, and he assured us that that was his clean one, and he was going to be incredibly vulgar. I, I opened, I never do this, I opened with a joke, there were a bunch of old white women at the Steppenwolf, my demographic, Yes. and, <laughs> and my friend Tim Barnes goes up, and he's emceeing the thing. And he starts with some some jokes that and they're not certain if they're supposed to laugh or not. They were a little edgy. So I walk up and I open with a joke about the detective series Columbo, and that's what won them over. Man knows how to read a room. Um, uh, coming up next, uh, I'm I'm really lucky in that uh, I have two of my of my good friends from college here tonight uh, to to tell stories who who are um, who I met at UW Madison and and uh, they both came down to Chicago along with some other ones and I've been so lucky that they've been here even though I don't see them nearly enough. Um, so the first one to come up tonight is uh, was on my first ever long form improv team. We were called Brostradamus. We were fucking great, and everyone on it is still friends and the best. Eric Losebaker! Thank you. So honored to follow that Gifford story. Yay. All right. Um, so last June, uh, my boyfriend... Peter and I went to Oregon for a 10-day trip, and for a few of those days, we went hiking in the Salmon Huckleberry Wilderness. It's this area outside of Portland, and the job of planning the hike had fallen to me. Um, before I started, I checked in with Peter. I was like, what are, we, what are we looking for? What do we want from this hike? And he assured me he wanted to, quote, get lost. So I, uh, I should mention, I am an Eagle Scout and had like done some hiking in my life. And he was born in Flushing, Queens and is a city rat. So he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. 
And I wish someone had mentioned that to me at that moment in time, but I was already off to the races looking for something that would like make Jack London cream his jeans. I was really going for it on this trip. And after a few months, I found like the perfect trip was a 15 mile loop. It was through old growth. We'd have a river, five miles a day, easy peasy, no problem. And we get into Portland, we rent a car, we drive up to the trailhead, and it's this beautiful summer day, and the sun is shining, and we like put on our 40-pound packs, and we snap a quick selfie, and we set off. And uh, I should mention at this point, just to reiterate, we are in Oregon, and what is legal in Oregon? Yes, insanely good marijuana. <laughs> really prime, prime stuff. And as we're like undertaking this first 500 feet or so of the hike, which is really just a 40 degree climb up from this riverbed into the mountains, I realize exactly how intense this weed is and how intense this hike is going to be <laughs> for the next three days. Because uh, on a map, I got to say, guys, it's really hard to tell how steep trails are. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Yes, there are topographical lines, right? Yes, those lines give you numbers that are the elevation for that spot. Yes, okay, we all understand this, but those lines are very squiggly, and they're very hard to follow, and uh, I don't know, I hadn't looked at a non-city, non-Google map in about 10 years, you know, so... And if I'm being completely honest, I also cheated on my orientation merit badge in Boy Scouts. <laughs> I just followed an old couple around the woods instead of learning how to use a compass. So, after a very, very poor first day, very intense, it becomes clear we're not going to make the loop. That's not going to happen. We're just going to go to a point, and then we are going to turn around and come back from that point. That seems much more uh, feasible at this point. But it also becomes clear that neither of our bodies are in anywhere near trail shape. We are fucking dying. Muscles we didn't know we had are screaming. And the only thing that really soothes the pain is more weed. Um, especially edibles, which we have in abundance. Um, so on day two, we end up climbing like another 3,000 feet up in elevation uh, before hitting a very underwhelming summit and, and turning around and realizing this is the as far as we get into the wilderness. we got to turn around and come back down. But as we're coming down the mountain, coming down is surprisingly harder than going up. Uh, it really hurts. And we find out that if we run, it hurts less. So... <laughs> So, giant running sticks in hand and massive packs on our backs. We're literally, like, running down the mountain in this, like, THC-riddled primal haze. And we make it down, and we, and we set up camp, and we sleep. And then we're on day three, and we are still very sore and still very high. But we're starting to find a rhythm. And we, we hit the trail with some good, good speed, and we're singing songs, and we're eating trail mix. And as we're, we're, we're seeing our trail from day one, just from the other side, and we remember we're going to come up to some whys in the trail. Uh, we got to remember which way to go. We feel pretty confident we can do that. And we take a left at the first Y, and life is good. And we take a left at the second Y, and life quickly gets very bad. And this trail aggressively just zigs and zags down the mountain. And as I'm quietly voicing my concern about this path we've chosen, Peter is tearing down this trail as fast as humanly possible because this trip needs to be over now. <laughs> and 
at a certain point, the tree cover starts to thin out to nothing but a few shrubs and, and bushes. And then we see the roaring river uh, a good thousand feet down on the side of this mountain. And the trail ahead of us peter off into nothing. Just just stops on the side of the mountain. And uh, this is the wrong trail. We were supposed to take a right. We did not. So we turn around and uh, look at our path back up and finally fully realize how poor of a choice we've made because we now have to climb up at least a 60-degree incline. And we end up planting our sticks into the mountain and then pulling ourselves up and then hoisting ourselves onto the nearest shrub and uh, gathering our breath and praying that we are going to continue to be alive and then repeating that. And then repeating that, and then repeating that, all while knowing that a single misstep will certainly send us tumbling down the mountain. And after a good two minutes of short, mad dashes for our lives, we get back to that split in the trail. And we hug, and Peter starts weeping, and I'm a robot, so I do not cry. (laughs) But... We take a moment and we let the let the gravity of that situation fully wash over us and really let it sink in and and I close my eyes for a second and then when I open them Peter is exhaling a hit and passing me the bowl and then we made it home. Thank you guys. So funny. I love you, Eric. I'm so happy you're here. Um, okay, uh, the next performer is another person that I know through Shithole who just has has um, delivered probably some of the most memorable, beautiful performances that I've ever seen uh, in this city and in the seven years that I've been here. Um, and to top it off, she's like a really, really great person. <laughs> Ooh, oh, no. Um, she's so wonderful. Arielle Atkins. <laughs> Hi. Uh, uh, it's been a really rough week, uh, and I'm kind of I'm really glad that Claire asked me to do this one so I could see her before she goes because she's an incredible person, and two because uh, I think I kind of need to get this off of my chest, uh, which was kind of the same the last time I did this show. Uh, yeah. Um, this is called No Matter What. My family and I have always been pretty tightly knit, unable to make do without the other. There is my father, a master sergeant in the Air National Guard who works on planes, wakes up every morning at 3.30 a.m. to go running with the dog and then hit the gym for weights. He grew up in Fraser and was the baby of his family, played basketball and read comics, which he would later introduce his children to, of whom themselves would each grow up to collect on their own. He loves to laugh and talk, has a heart of gold, and loves his wife, my mother, unconditionally. My mother is a buyer for FedEx and has an endless amount of shoes and clothes, a style untouched by any other woman I've ever seen, and intelligence far beyond me. She is strong in the way that all black women have to be in order to survive, though she lets her armor down long enough to call her children chipmunks and kiss our cheeks until our faces are the same shade as her lipstick. She is the soul of our family. My brother is a photog and editor for the news station back home. 
He has a degree in film and a passion for anime and well-written characters of mystery and efficiency. He has my father's heart of gold, and though he'd never admit it, a desire to warm the hearts of everyone he meets. He understands the world around him differently from most, which adds to his insanely creative mind and can make literally anyone laugh. And then, of course, there's me. It's the four of us, as it always has been, and by that I mean that my parents were constant and reminding us that we were all we have and that no matter what, each of us would always be there for the other. And looking at my life, it's always been this way. Friday nights growing up were spent together playing board games or watching movies while enjoying my mother's cheese dip and boxes of candies that we were never allowed to finish. My parents always would rather spend a night in with their kids and each other than be anywhere else in the world because they didn't drink and were not fans of late nights on the town, which was fine because my brother and I usually fell asleep around seven or nine ourselves, so we made perfect companions. I call my mother now for relationship advice and my father to discuss politics and people. My brother is still my best friend and we talk endlessly about everything in between. And even now when I go home, I see only them and rarely anyone else. When I moved to Chicago in 2009 for college, they drove me down. I remember saying goodbye to the three of them outside my dorm, standing on the sidewalk in front of our big white Yukon feeling smaller than I ever had. My father gave me a long, tight hug and said, no matter what it is, if you call, we'll be here. We'll make it out here any way we can. All you need to do is call. We are not without our problems. We have our elephants to attend, skeletons in closets, buried memories and disagreements of which only one am I able to discuss publicly. My parents don't believe in mental health. I struggle with major depressive disorder, severe anxiety and PTSD. My parents call it stress and connect my mental decline to my loss of faith. We've had countless arguments over God, depression and my own capabilities. My friends and I joke often over how they'd rather see a fabricated idea that they have of me over who I actually am currently and deal with what comes with the truth. It's an ongoing battle that I've grown weary of fighting. After about two months of a decline mentally, suicidal ideations, constant self-harm, Tuesday, November 8th, 2016, I called my mother to tell her that I was unstable again and checking myself into a hospital. I told her in advance because two years before, after my lack of appearance on Facebook for three days, she panicked wondering where I was. She sounded surprised, somewhat annoyed, and of course, worried. What does this mean? Why do you need to go to a hospital? What about work? What is going on? What could be so bad? She told me that I needed to pray, read my Bible, get my faith back. I told her that I was sick and needed a safe place to heal. I left the conversation frustrated and shaken, still in disbelief at how my situation is seen by my parents. I spent seven days in the hospital. I got out this past Wednesday. But after three days in, my parents made their way to Chicago to see me. They dropped all of their plans and made the 10 hour drive, got a hotel downtown just to see me for two hours a day for two days. Um, on the last day, my mother covered my cheeks in plum kisses. 
My father hugged me tight and long and said, no matter what, we're here for you. We love you. All you ever need to do is call. It's not across country. A 10 hour drive from Memphis to Chicago can barely be called a trek. And even though we don't see eye to eye and they see my illness as something that could be easily fixed on my knees, they are still willing to cross the world to tell their baby girl they love her, no matter what. Thank you so much for that. That was beautiful. And I mean, in, in in my seven years here, I've had a number of friends check themselves in, and it's always the it's always a, a blessing to all of us that um, that helps keep them here, and that's that's what we love. Oh, I should explain why I picked this song. Eric picked all the music tonight. Dang it! Ugh. Eric's just gonna let me be, and he's gonna just let me flounder. Is what's gonna happen. <laughs> do you want me to do this part? This was a song by one of my favorite bands as a kid, which was the Monkees. I freaking love the Monkees, and I love their television show, and I got their best love album as a child. And my, my friend and I memorized all the, all the words to it, uh, my, my very best friend from growing up. And she also lived with me for, here for a year in Chicago, and so this, this song makes me think of her every, every time I hear it. And it's a tra- they're all traveling songs. That's what I was supposed to say. That's what Eric was getting at. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one more time. Claire Friedman. Yeah. I'll meet you at the 
It's a train slowing down. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like Your Stories, you might also enjoy Campaign. In the Campaign podcast, a small group of Chicago improvisers play through an ongoing role-playing game set in the Star Wars universe. It's hosted by Cat Cool. For more on Campaign, visit www.oneshotpodcast.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome! Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.